0: Are you ready to be awakened and empowered in your calling and purpose? Are you a builder and shaper of the church, marketplace, and society? Welcome to Transformation Generation Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Schneider, and I look forward to helping you get equipped as a catalyst of the kingdom in your sphere. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Transformation Generation Podcast and also to our YouTube channel. You might be watching from History Makers TV. That's our YouTube channel. As well, we post to Facebook just for now, just as almost a courtesy or <laughs> just wanting to bless you uh, wherever you're you're watching from. But this is Transformation Generation Podcast. We hope you'll subscribe to that wherever you listen to podcasts at. Now I'm really excited about this today because in the last couple of weeks I did some in-depth stuff on our podcast related to really building apostolically and kingdom-driven models, so to speak. And uh, and so I got some questions or some comments, and people were asking about well, what are what are the components of an apostolic center? And I actually had several, all in the span of forty-eight hours. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do a video on this and I'm going to, you know, do this as a podcast episode and go a little deeper. So if you haven't watched or heard uh, the, uh, I believe it was called Pulpit Driven Church versus Kingdom Driven Church and then uh, building a 21st century, uh, you know, Kingdom Driven Church, I think is the title, but the last two, anyways. (laughs) We do a lot of recording around here. And uh, if you haven't listened or watched those, I'd encourage you to go back and take those in because they really set the stage for the why of the apostolic center model, which also goes by different names. I'm going to dive right into this, and before I do, I want to draw your attention towards an incredible book by Alain Caron, Apostle Alain Caron out of uh, Canada, Uh, a good friend of mine, actually. He wrote a book called Apostolic Centers, which actually is, I would describe it as a bit of a, you know, well, more than a bit of, but... The handbook uh, for understanding this thing. But what he does is he goes beyond theory. One of the things you'll find when, when this term started being thrown around, apostolic centers, is it really became a buzzword, uh, buzz term fast. People just kind of put it up on their church sign. It was new. It almost became sort of trendy. But there are such beautiful and deep practical glorious components to an apostolic center that you just don't always get out of the theory that gets thrown around on this subject. Alain Caron has done a very good job of the practical piece uh, really revealing how he was able to shift his church, classical church model, into apostolic center. and And that's really crucial right now because as the Lord has been revealing this to the body of Christ, it's actually a return to the book of Acts models and model, Uh, churches are wanting to make the shift. So there's classical churches that find out, hey, I've got the DNA of an apostolic center or we're already doing most of this. If we adjust this over here, then we could have a a real apostolic center in all its glory. And so he's done a really good job of how to make the shift. Today, what I'm going to do, because again, there is no shortage of theory on this and you will see all kinds of uh, breakout sessions, conference titles, um, apostolic center, you know, attached to all kinds of things. And what I have found is we're still in an era of the body of Christ of getting to to the practical part. (laughs) And I want to touch on the practical part having seen and experienced and have some authority in what works, what doesn't work, what really makes for an apostolic center. What's the point of all that? And so because there was so much theory being thrown around without the actual practical proof of concept you had a bit of criticism that emerged about this thing. It just seemed to be another buzz term, but it's it's so much better than that. And when you understand the real practical components and the value of a genuine apostolic center, you'll get excited. So as we kind of taxi down the runway here a bit, the apostolic center model, and I'm I'm actually using notes today, so don't mind me because I want to give you things that are phrasing... Uh, worded properly, you can write down. I don't want to just kind of freestyle here, but pastoral churches, as we know, kept evolving uh, in the days of Apostle Paul. But another type of church began to emerge that had apostolic, what we call apostolic government and structure. So in most cases, your typical classical church, which we might even call the pulpit-driven church, Uh, was made up of elders, but instead the apostolic team or apostolic government in a center uh, is made up of gifted uh, leaders, multi-gifted leaders uh, underneath an apostle. And you might be sitting in your church staff boardroom right now and you're a pastor in a classical traditional pastoral model church and say, hey, I've got gifted staff and, you know, doesn't that make me an apostle? Doesn't make our church an apostolic center? No. (laughs) And I'll help you to understand that as we walk through this. Uh, Corinth and Ephesus, if you're looking this up and want to do some Bible study on it. Again, so much theory has been laid drawing from biblical text. I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to get real practical. Corinth and Ephesus are two good examples of apostolic centers building from the example of the sort of mothership Antioch. Paul established them as literally resource centers. That's another name for an apostolic center is a resource center. And they had reach, Throughout the provinces, this is a really key point. Here is that apostolic centers have a certain grace and they have a reach. They have a metron or orbit of reach that is greater and larger than your typical traditional uh, pastorally driven church. Uh, You can look this up in Acts 19, uh, verse 10. You'll see that through the base model in Ephesus, uh, Paul was actually able to have apostolic reach to all of Asia. The light bulb should go on for you there. All of Asia, a continent. So we are, as apostolic leaders, in the business of discipling nations. As believers, we're in the business of discipling nations. So if Jesus told us to do it in the Great Commission, then there should be strategy. There should be a way to actually do this thing. And what's interesting is... If you look at the steps of Paul, you will find that, I don't think knowingly, but surely led by the Holy Spirit, Apostle Paul actually was retracing the steps of Alexander the Great. Think about that. And what did Alexander the Great do? He took over the world. (laughs) bit of dominion there, Uh, and, and not in context of dominionism, but... You know, we're talking about going and discipling all nations. So Paul actually retraced the steps of Alexander the Great, knowingly or unknowingly, and planted these apostolic centers, or established these apostolic centers that had incredible reach. They were in major hot zones of the hustle and bustle of the big city. Uh, Why? It's not that big cities are greater than small cities, it's just... There's a way to export what is cultivated in a large city. There are just resources to send this thing everywhere else. It's simply Holy Spirit strategy. Now, when we go to define what is an apostolic center, I like to to start by uh, defining or saying what it is not. That's where I like to begin. An apostolic center is not. A primarily pulpit driven church model. If you haven't listened to my pulpit driven church versus kingdom driven church, you know, you won't catch it all. But there are major differences to uh, between today's pulpit driven church and a kingdom driven church. 90% of churches in the world are currently pulpit driven. Most things revolve around the Sunday service we're forever trying new ideas to get people to come to the building and then when we've got them in the building we have to keep them in the building and and we we bring in events pastors and sound and light pastors and nothing wrong with those kind of pastors but uh we place an overemphasis at times on what happens on the in the Sunday service rather than the kingdom driven model which places emphasis on the equipping and sending and and all kinds of other stuff that you can go back and and listen to. So, for example, a pulpit driven church, pastoral model, there's a pastor there with a pastoral staff and you'll find most of the staff are made up of they're all called pastors in one way or another, and uh, one is pastoring the youth, one is pastoring the young adults, one is pastoring the admin, one is pastoring the seniors, and you basically have a bunch of pastors uh, planning things and managing the sheep that are in that building, and they are overseen by a pastor who, I know this doesn't always go over the nicest, but oftentimes that pastor has strict requirements Uh, by overseeing managers, (laughs) a board. Uh, The board really is controlling it all and the pastor uh, uh, is accountable to the board and we're to get as many people in the building, raise the finances, all that stuff. None of that is bad. Uh, You can have very healthy, pastorally-driven churches. Um, But you also can get into the mega church model which is a whole other subject which is oftentimes a pastorally driven church on on christian steroids for lack of a better term it's just a mega church and people go there many times it's centered around the personality of the pastor and so if you lose the personality of that pastor if if that pastor leaves Maybe the people leave and go with him and the, the church just ceases to function. The The challenge with those kind of pastorally-driven churches where a lot of it centers around a personality is the apostolic mission of discipling nations, transforming the community around it, just does not happen. You literally have a subculture meeting in this building. That's just the truth. and And oftentimes the community doesn't even know that you exist. Or they know there's the big building there. <coughs> excuse me, the big church, but they don't really know what goes in there. The needs of the of the community aren't being met and you don't have very much transformation. Hence why we've come to the conclusion at this stage in church history that those models don't necessarily make for national transformation. This is now the discussion around Hillsong Australia. And while we watch our nations go to hell in a handbasket, as they say, we have these big churches, but not many sons and daughters equipped and sent to bring transformation beyond the four walls. I talk a lot on that subject, so I won't labor it today. But The reality is primarily pulpit-driven, personality-driven churches don't have that much impact on the actual transformation of culture. So if transformation of culture is important to you, then you have to begin to place emphasis on how do we equip people that can go out there and go where the pastor can't go, (laughs) bring the gospel where the pastor can't bring it, and you begin to have a church that's functioning in society without walls. That should excite you. So, further, defining an apostolic center, it is a center. It's a hub. It's a central location where everything is happening, coming and going. Some may even call it ascending center, often in major cities, though not restricted, major cities. They operate, I find the term resource church more so defines it by its function. They resource, uh, they're a hub of resources to the society and to local churches within their orbit. And I'm going to talk about that. Within their vicinity, within the province, within the nation, they serve local pastoral-based churches in their orbit okay so let's get now into the practical components and here's where i did a whole smorgasbord of stuff leading up to this point but now we're going to get a little systematic with it i'll expand on each of the seven points today practical components of an apostolic center number one you guessed it they have an apostle (laughs) You know, if you ever want to see spiritual warfare (laughs) beyond evangelism, use the term apostle. uh, Have Jesus knock you off your horse and call you into apostleship, or mention that a church has an apostle. You'll get a lot of action. You'll (laughs) you'll get a lot nibbling at at the bait there. But you have an apostle in the house, and that doesn't mean that you can't have pastors. In fact, when you have an apostle over an apostolic center, quite often they will develop intricate and very successful uh, and thriving pastoral teams. This is really important because the apostle loves to build people, empower people in their gifts. So when you're able to build up a strong pastoral team in the church, people feel like their needs are getting met. This just translates down well, practically. Churches that have an apostle that does not care about the pastoral, feels he or she is above pastoral ministry, well, you're just going to be an apostle with a very small church, mostly people who maybe identify with your gift mix. But the reality is any apostle worth their salt knows how to pastor. And when they're in the context of their local center, they will be able to pastor. They love people. You know, I really weary of this throw out the pastoral thing because I'm an apostle. Listen, if you want to manifest the nature and character of Jesus, start restoring the soul. <laughs> start leading people by waters of rest. <laughs> you know, guide them in paths of righteousness. I just as an apostle, I don't throw out the pastoral. I love to minister from a pastoral place and I do in our own emerging apostolic center. So, you have an apostle Again, this isn't overly thorough today, but I'm just going to hit some bullet points. And in our trainings or workshops, I do workshops with churches. I do coaching with pastors on how to do some of this stuff. So if you want to go deeper, feel free to reach out. Secondly, they have an apostolic infrastructure. This one I will not go in depth into today, but they have an apostolic infrastructure. It's an apostolic team dynamic. Again, I just want to say that a pastor in a local church with a staff that handles pastoring with him, that is not an apostolic team dynamic. That's a pastoral team or an office staff, and we just have to tell it like it is. (laughs) That's the reality, Uh, and so it's different. Um, The apostolic team dynamic, it's a different gift set, it's a different emphasis, there are maybe a pastoral representative or pastor on that team and they're looking after the whole of the pastoral piece of the apostolic center but the apostolic team is is into equipping is into sending there may even be if you're in Canada and you have a church you have to have a a board you have to fulfill obligations to uh you know our Canadian charitable system You have a board representative on the apostolic team representing the board. You can do that. But it is governed by that church, that center is not governed by your classical board. It is governed by an apostolic team. And there are ways to do that because right now, maybe some of you watching are saying, but, but, but. (laughs) Listen, there are ways to do that that can still fulfill board requirements, maybe even some denominational requirements, depending on what relational equity you have there. I'm going to move on real quick because that one was loaded. Uh, Number three, (laughs) apostolic orbit or network. These kind of churches or centers have influence on other churches and leaders of networks. They just kind of, the the apostle there in the house, or the leader, uh, they just kind of have connections, let's say it that way, with other ministries. Other ministry leaders look up to them. Um, Other churches come into alignment with them. With History Makers Church, we have churches in different places that maybe I didn't found, but they say, hey, I recognize your apostleship. We want to be aligned with you. This is different than the top-down scenario of Our apostolic church is above all of you. We use the term alignment because that accesses great grace and still allows for the church to not be under any kind of control or manipulated or need to pay dues of some sort. But there's a healthy interdependence rather than codependence between churches. That was also loaded what I just said there. There's a healthy interdependence and functioning together Like an orbit. Think of how planets orbit each other, all making something happen (laughs) in the great solar system. So they have an apostolic orbit. They influence networks. They have people that say, hey, let me connect with you, apostle. I've got this network. And you begin to see there's a grace for the expansion of the kingdom beyond the four walls of that center, that building. There just is. And you can't buy it. You just see it on these people. It just naturally spreads out. They have network connections of people that align with them. That part's really important. And the orbit comes somewhat naturally. Uh, you know, we are, again we have a lot of people that print business cards says Apostle on it, and they are running around trying to get people to come under their network so as to make their their apostleship proven. Listen, apostleship never needs to be proven from the sense of striving in the flesh, trying to pull something together. In fact, by the time you get to any kind of apostleship, you've been so beaten up by certain things, the Lord has had to take you through levels of humility. Um, you have come through so much, <laughs> the thorns in the side, by the time you get to, hey, look, I think I'm an apostle, uh, that you're not even looking to say, hey, I'm, <laughs> I'm an apostle. You're just glad you're part of the, the team, team Jesus. So that's a little loaded as well. But the apostolic orbit comes naturally by what Paul described as the grace and apostleship in Romans 1 that we receive from Jesus. Now, Number four, systems of training and equipping. This one is really key because the Apostolic Center doesn't just major in discipleship of you're a new believer, you go through the new Christians class and you get into a cell group, as good as that is. They don't just do that, but they also equip people in calling, purpose and destiny what the person was born to do. This is a major component because when they're equipped in their calling, guess what happens? They're able to be sent into their calling. (laughs) It's a new thought. If I'm equipped in my calling, purpose, and destiny, I can be sent. And once you're sent from the apostolic center like an ambassador... You're bringing the kingdom beyond the four walls. This is really key. So there are systems of training and equipping. One of the ones we did that brought so much transformation to our city in Oshawa was we had once a month uh, history makers training. That's our vehicle for training leaders, sending uh, leaders into their calling, purpose, and destiny out there. That's why we have all the stories, testimonies of incredible breakthrough in society all from our training and equipping system. We have a three-day training, then we have a, a destiny and transformation training. We have a system that has certain components, one after another, anointed with the grace. You know, the grace and apostleship, the secret sauce of Jesus. And they go out there, doors open, stuff happens, society is transformed. It's, it's naturally apostolic. I like that, hashtag, naturally apostolic. Uh, So there's training and equipping systems that go beyond just discipleship. And by the way, we love to help churches set those up. That is a passion of mine, to come in and just say, hey, here's what we've got. Let's help you to do that. That's my sweet spot there a little bit. Next, number five, systems of prayer. Systems of prayer. Are you offended that I use the word system and prayer in the same sentence? If you are, don't tune out yet, but this is different than the Thursday morning prayer meeting, or we pray pre-service prayer before our Sunday service. This is literally systems of prayer that are constantly happening, and you have, whether it's a week-long church-wide prayer and fast in winter, week-long church-wide prayer and fast in summer, what we did in our apostolic center is three days in his presence. We had three-day uh, prayer and fast in this season, then another one in that season, so twice a year that was one of our systems and then we had and they functioned according to a system and a structure that allowed for everybody to be part of it and and it wasn 't too much for too many and uh, then, as well, we had our all night prayer meetings once a month, everything was scheduled, and we have this sort of machine of prayer going on. Why is this important? It's because it settles the, the issue and the dynamic of when you're sending people excuse me, out into society, there's warfare. The devil doesn't want to lose territory. So just like any kind of war or battle, you always have to have the, the air assaults and, and the planes flying over and taking care of things in the spirit realm, in the air before you're sending in the troops on the ground. This is so important. Otherwise, if the strong man is not bound, you're in for quite a fight when you venture beyond the four walls as a sent one. I know I have watched this over 20 years and have a lot of in-depth teaching on this subject. Then again, um, you also have the prayer system because you need to have a constant flow of anointing and breakthrough, because when the, think of it like a water level, when the water level of anointing rises in your church, or you're taking new ground, you're breaking barriers, the church is an organism that the devil wants to fight against, as your water level is rising, you begin to trigger what I call timed uh, landmines or proximity mines, (laughs) and If you don't know what a proximity mine is, uh, they're basically bombs, mines that are placed on a wall or on the floor, and if anyone ever goes up the levels of the building and gets near the proximity mine, it explodes. So the idea is to disarm the proximity mines ahead of time. Having constant prayer, machines of prayer, as the water level is rising in your church, you've disarmed those strategies of the enemy that he has pre-planned. In other words, he's saying, look, I'm comfortable with you guys sitting there and just having meetings about who's bringing the potato salad to the picnic. But if you ever get to this stage of training, or if you ever get to this stage of sending, or you start putting people in government or business, if you ever prosper financially, boom, 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 these bombs are going to go off. You can disarm those ahead of time, Simply by having certain machine of prayer always going on. And I've personally experienced this in our own church when we have dialed back on prayer, didn't have prayer. You go to touch some of this apostolic stuff and the explosions begin to go off. You can find yourself booted out of your church, (laughs) sitting there like, what happened and why? Why is this so loaded? Apostolic is loaded. Prophetic is loaded. The devil must must have a stop on that stuff in our churches because the apostolic and prophetic, but let's talk about the apostolic. The grace of Jesus that reaches and transforms society around an apostolic center is just off the charts special. And let me say something. Maybe you're a pastor, you've been through some stuff, you got booted by the board, you touched on this subject and all kinds of things broke loose. It is worth paying any price. If this is your calling, if Jesus has called you, the chief apostle, if he has called you into ministry, into doing this, apostleship is worth paying the price for. And guess what? Jesus paid a price for it. Apostle Paul paid a price for it. And you will too. Hallelujah. I'm getting getting off track here. Uh, Next one at number six of seven. Systems of strategic sending, sending. Catch that word sending. Now, sending is different than evangelism in this context. Systems of strategic sending. I know that we lay hands at the altar of our church, and we say, go and evangelize communities. You may hand out tracts. You may do different things out there, sort of like an elastic band that ventures out there and then comes right back into the church, and we hope that those people we evangelized come with us. However, systematic sending is not an elastic band. It's a string. It doesn't snap back. It occupies wherever you place it. Think of it like strings on a map with the pins. From the Apostolic Center, the string goes out and is pinned into a location in the community and remains. The person still goes to church, come back to the Apostolic Center, keep getting trained. But there's occupied territory going on in such an organized way that the principles of the kingdom, the spirit of the kingdom, become systemic throughout the society. This is the key right here. And so how do we occupy territory? We've mostly only known about evangelism, even go out, do a crusade, then come back in. The key to occupying territory for the apostolic center is found in ministries, programs, packaging of kingdom principles that meet the needs of the community. (laughs) When you package it in the form of a single parent program, when you package it in the form of feeding the homeless, when you package the kingdom in the form of a charity that restores broken families, when you package the kingdom or possess gates, when you become the dean of students, when you become the coach of the the soccer team in the city, Uh, when you become the mayor, when you become the whatever, once Once you've occupied key positions, now you're out there and the spirit and principles of the kingdom can manifest. This requires strategy. This is a very organized sending system that every apostolic center must have. And by the way, a little plug here. This is what I'm so excited about with our Destiny and Transformation mentorship curriculum, is we create what we call society small groups. (laughs) That's how we do it, because we discovered that small groups extended from the the local church or center actually can transform society simply because they are small and organized. And if you go a little deeper into sociology and how culture is shifted, you'll find that's how it's been done. It's the only way it's been done is shifting culture through small groups of organized, committed individuals. This is a principle the church apostolic center must understand. You cannot just do church and hope one day everybody's going to come rushing to your building to be saved. Sometimes some of those things happen in a revival, but revivals are actually the exception, not the rule as far as the principles of of managing the promised land out there. Revivals serve various purposes, but as far as bringing the kingdom out there, it's always in season. You don't have to wait for a revival to do it, but you will need to be organized and strategic. So we actually help churches go through a curriculum and a three to six month practicum of creating these society small groups and then planting them in society. And this is how we've been able to bring so much change to various nations in the world. I hope you'll connect with us for that. We wanna help you. The last one is resource distribution. Resource distribution, okay? Uh, That's number seven. This simply is that your local base, your base of operations, your center, maybe the pastor writes some books, maybe you're releasing some curriculum, Maybe you hold a yearly conference that gathers the churches in your orbit and celebrates what God is doing. Maybe your training and equipping system in your center uh, is online as well and reaches your other contacts and connections in the world. It's simply an apostolic center is a hub, a base that services ministries and churches within its orbit. And services society. This is just so exciting. And you'll know it if you've got it. So as you develop this model in your own apostolic center, you may be small now, but remember, anything kingdom starts as a seed. Jesus compared the growth of the kingdom to the smallest of seeds to the greatest of trees. He compared it to a growth process. So no matter how small your center is, if God has given you a vision. And you've got this DNA, start to build it. And you'll find your orbit will increase. You'll find it's a model worth replicating. You'll find you maybe have newsletters going out, helping others to do it. You'll find you have a -a once-a-year gathering with your whole network. You'll find you're sending people to these other churches to bring ministry for families, to bring training for, for media influence. You're servicing churches and ministries and leaders within your orbit. Do you see how exciting an apostolic center is? <laughs> if you bring it to the practical, beyond the theory, and each of these points, I could do for you know over an hour of practical examples. This is literally what I walk through. Now, I had the privilege of seeing the good and the bad. Uh, I've seen the clash of denominational structure and and apostolic kingdom structure. I've seen the successes of watching as our prayer systems broke new ground for for sent ones out there in society. We've received recognition from our local government even for all that has taken place in the community. And at that time, we only had 13 graduates, our first society small group. And man, is it worth paying the price for to establish the genuine apostolic and the grace of Jesus, our chief apostle, on it, and see nations discipled. Thank you for joining me today on Transformation Generation Podcast. I look forward to seeing you next week. God bless. Thanks for listening to Transformation Generation Podcast. If you liked what you heard, visit historymakersacademy.com to enroll in one of our cutting-edge trainings. Don't forget to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. History Makers TV or download our History Makers Society app today.